The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Church family, take your copy of God's Word with you, whether you're here in this room or whether you're joining us online to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 is our primary text this morning. I also want to encourage you to have a couple of the passages ready as well, that we will be studying Romans 5 and 1 Peter 1. Luke 2, Romans 5, and 1 Peter 1. We'll begin in Luke chapter 2. As I mentioned to you at the beginning of our service, we are in a series entitled The Songs of Christmas that we have been looking at the songs of Christmas as a way by which to understand the narrative, the story of Scripture, the story of Christ in this birth narrative. Uh, We've sung a few of those songs actually this morning. We began a few weeks ago by looking at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the song we just sang. That song communicates the longing that the people of faith had looking for the Messiah that was to come. We saw the longing very evident in Zechariah, as well as Simeon and Anna, that they made the statement that there were those who were waiting for, longing for redemption that was to come. And then we looked at the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that we sing and that song that was written to be able to show the fulfillment had come in that little place of Bethlehem that was just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus didn't come in big pomp and circumstance, but he came in obscurity, but it was fulfillment of all of the scripture and the promises that were to come. Last week we looked at, O come all you faithful, and looked at the invitation that is given to all people. From this very passage of Scripture, we looked at where the angels said to the shepherds that it was good news for all people. And we looked at the promises that was in that Scripture, as well as all of the Scripture, how God came not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. It was His plan from the beginning. We looked at the Gentile women who was in the genealogy of Jesus. We looked at the wise men who came from the east who were Gentiles to worship him. We looked at the promise that was given to Abraham some 2,000 years before Jesus that through Abraham he'd be a blessing to all peoples. We looked at even prior to Abraham from the beginning of creation up until Abraham and how before there was a Jewish nation it was simply people who were expressing faith in the one who was going to come. And today we return to this passage of Scripture that's in Luke chapter 2 with the angels once again. As I mentioned to you last week, we're going to drive down and really unpack not just the declaration that it was for all people, but to look at the celebration that the angels had in this announcement that they gave that God was bringing peace to all man. We sing the song. We sang it this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This song was written by a man by the name of Charles Wesley. If you know much about history in regards to the movement of God in the church, he and his brother John Wesley, along with George Whitfield, in the 18th century were, were extremely instrumental in what was called the Great Awakening in America. John Wesley is known more than Charles Wesley as the preacher, but Charles Wesley was known as a hymn writer. He wrote over 6,000 songs. How many of you have written one? Hymn writing, songwriting is a challenging thing. You begin to write down lyrics and you're trying to figure out the music that goes with it. But 6,000 songs. But he wrote this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, with the intent, with wanting us who sang that song to pay attention. The word hark means that. Hark. Listen. Pay attention to what the angels are singing. Now, how many of you have sung that song and thought that's what that word meant? 
you are saying the same thing as you sing that lyric of that line, Hark, the herald angels sing. You are saying to everybody else who's listening to you, Hey, pay attention to what the angels said about the sun. That was Charles Wesley's intent. He wanted us... And all of those who have sung this song now for all these 200 plus years, pay attention to what the angels have sung. I I do hope and pray that as we have walked through these songs and we've looked at these scriptures, that you have seen some of the nuggets that's in these scriptures to draw your attention, to think through these songs and the scripture narrative of Jesus' birth a little differently. For example, in Luke 2, when we talked about verse 6 and it said, The time came... For the baby to be born. I hope that when you read that from now on. That you will recognize it wasn't just a nine month full term. It was the time of all that God was developing for that particular moment. And today I hope the same will happen for you. I hope that you will listen to Luke chapter 2. And pay attention to what the angels said on that day that Christmas happened. When Jesus was born. When we sang the song let me remind you just of verse 1 again as we put the lyrics on the screen. Hark, I mean, pay attention what the herald, meaning this declaration that the angels are singing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. If God and sinners need reconciliation, then that means there's a separation. Pay attention He says what the angels are declaring, glory to God, that God is bringing reconciliation. And then there's this invitation, joyful all ye nations rise. Join, join in the triumph of the skies. Meaning if you know this, then join what the host is saying, glory to God. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ, the Messiah, is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. I pray that as we walk through this, you will see this announcement that was made was a celebration. It was wonderful, joyous moment, and I pray that we would not ever get over this announcement. That we would see this announcement that is here in Luke 2. That what the angels are singing is something we need to pay attention to. And so my prayer is this for all of you in this room and for those of you listening online. If you have been made right with God and you have peace with God, you will join the same declaration that the angels have. But for those of you in this room who think that maybe you are at peace with God, but when reality you're not at peace with God, I pray that today you will understand why the angels came to make this announcement. That there is a need for peace. Let's read this text together. Our central text is verses 8 through verses 10, but I want us to begin at verse 1 again so we can see the context of this passage of Scripture. And as we look at this passage of Scripture today, what we're going to simply do is ask questions and answer those questions about this passage of Scripture, a way by which we can understand, draw out the meaning of this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And here's our text for today. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, meaning the shepherds. And they were filled with fear. How many angels so far? One. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, here is the hark the herald angels sing. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The reason why that we have here under the inspiration of the Spirit of God when Luke wrote this, a multitude of heavenly hosts, is because they can't count it. It is so vast and so numerous, it's impossible for them to be able to do that. That's why oftentimes when you're reading the scriptures, you will see them write words like, and myriads of myriads. It's just beyond what we can count. It's beyond comprehension. I'll do the same thing and illustrate it. If you look up in the sky, you can't count all the stars. It's impossible to do so. So make that somewhat relative for you in understanding in this particular moment. There's this host of angels gathering to make this declaration. And so it begs the question, if they're asking this question or really making this announcement that God is bringing peace, we must ask the question, if there is an announcement for peace, we need to ask the question, how then can we get peace? Because obviously, if they're saying glory to God because peace is now possible, then that means that we don't have what? Peace. So how do we get it? I want to walk you through this text and walk you through scriptures. I want you to see clearly in this passage of scripture that what's the direction here? I want you to notice what's happening. Glory to God is the direction upward of the praise and on earth is peace. So the angels are praising God for what he has delivered and peace is what he's bringing downward. So that means that man can't make it happen. Glory to God and on earth peace with among whom he is pleased. I answered this question for you briefly last week, but we're going to drill down on it a little bit more this week. Pleasing God only comes through faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without what? Faith. So this passage of Scripture then, you're looking at it again, there, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. Who is the he referring to? It's referring to God in that passage of Scripture. So glory to God, he's granting peace only to those whom he is pleased. Well, that only comes through faith. Well, what happens in the moment? If faith is what brings pleasing to God, then God is saying he's going to grant peace. Well, does faith grant peace? Keep your finger here and turn with me now to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. And I want you to see the clear connection of what faith grants to us. If the angels are announcing that God is going to bring peace, then you must need to understand that the only way that you can get that is by the fact that God is the one who's supplying that to us. And if we have faith in him, not just faith to acknowledge him, Let me make sure that you understand that. We're not talking about just acknowledgement of God, but faith in who He is, what He's done, that Christ is the Redeemer, He is the Savior, He is Christ, He's Messiah, He is King, He's the substitute for your sinfulness. He became sin who knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We understand, so faith is in Him and what He has done done for us. Romans 5, 1, Paul tells us very clearly this connection between faith and peace. Read it with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. So the way by which that we're going to get the reciprocation or the blessing of what God is promising in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, that the angels are saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We know that faith is what pleases him and when we place faith in him, it's in that moment that we then are at peace with him. Now we need to make sure that we understand the connections in this passage of scripture because I want you to see clearly what does Paul tell us in verse 1. It says we've been justified by Faith. So if we're justified by faith, then that makes us understand something. To be justified is a legal declaration that God grants to us at the moment of faith. To declare us at peace with Him. To be right with Him. That we are then declared righteous. So meaning that if we need a declaration by God to justify us, to declare us right with him, and thereby that is what grants us peace, then that means prior to that declaration by God to justify us, to be at right with him, that means we are not right and therefore we are not at peace with him. Look at Romans 3, just a couple of chapters previous to this. We'll come back to Romans 5, and I want you to see this very clearly in verses 20 through, excuse me, 21 through 23. So if, if Romans 5.1, Paul says it's by faith that we are justified and that's how we get peace, we need to understand we are not right with God prior to that moment of faith. We can be religious, we can be moral, we can be good, we can be the best citizens as possible, you can contribute to society, you can be the best father, the best mother, the best husband, the best wife, the best grandparent. You can be the best single person ever possible, but there is a legal declaration that's declared on all of humanity because of our sinfulness. We are at odds with God. Romans 3.21 tells us, really if you go back up earlier in the verses, let's just do that so you can see it, verses 10, none is righteous. No, not, say it with me, who? No, not one. So nobody is righteous. But then the good news is, verse 21 This is why I love conjunctions. This is why I love transitional statements. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested 
apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now make that connection back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read about it. So righteousness comes when we are declared right with God. That's justification. So now let's make the connection. Chapter 5, verse 1, and then we're going to make the connection with Luke 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been made right with God by faith, we have peace with God. So let's put the connections together. When we are unrighteous, when we do not have the righteousness of Christ a place upon our lives, and you have good deeds, and you have good morals, you are not right, and you are not at peace with God. You may think that you have peace with God in your mind, but you're not at peace with Him because He's a holy, righteous God. So when the announcement is made by the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased, meaning God is making a way. God is making a way to be at peace with Him. It happens through faith. Now that's the clear answer. It happens by faith. Jesus makes it very clear. You hear us say it quite often. You want to be right with God? It's repent. Believe and follow him. Clearly, this is what it needs to be. So I just asked you that very question from the very beginning, at the beginning of the sermon, is have you made that declaration? Have you had that moment in time, a line drawn in the sand, that you could be able to say, I have faith in God, I believe in him, and I am at peace with him. And you've heard me say it this way. It's not just thinking, are you at peace with him, but is he at peace with you? It begs the question then. Some of you are saying, well, I don't have to do that. Well, let's ask the second question then. Why do we need peace? Why do we need it when everybody thinks it's okay and we think that we're all right? Well, the, second, the first reality is we often think that we might be okay, but why do we need peace? And you say, I'm not pinpointing anyone, I'm pointing out everybody. We refers to all of humanity. Why does humanity need peace with God, aren't we okay if we just do what we need to do? Well, back at Luke chapter 2, verses 14, what did the angel say? On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So if he is making a declaration that only those who he is pleased with, then that means that there is a vast majority of people who are not at peace. So do we need peace? Indeed we do. Go back to Romans 5 there. If you've left that passage and just a little bit further down, I want you to see the connection is when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it in segments. He didn't write it in staccato and he wrote one and stopped. He's a a continuation of thought. So let's put the thoughts together. Chapter 5, verse 1, he tells us that we have peace when we have what? When we have faith in him. And then if you skip down to verses 9 and 10, he makes it very clear why we need to be made right with God. Why we need peace with God. It is very clearly there in chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and I'll put it there, the points on the screen for you. We need peace with God because we are enemies with God prior to salvation. We are his enemies with God prior to salvation. Look at the text there in verse 9 and 10. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. So he's talking to those who have been made right. He's letting them understand the reality of what it was like for us prior to being made right and having peace. So since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? I draw your attention to two things that are there. Prior to justification, verse 9, we had the wrath of God destined to us. Verse 10, he tells us we are reconciled. Prior to reconciliation, we were called what? Enemies of God. Now put the two and two together. When you are an enemy of God and you have not been made right through faith, the wrath of God is what is destined for us. Understanding. Wrath of God is what is destined for us. So let's illustrate this particular way. God makes a decree in the aspect that all those who are sinful, who never place faith in Christ, have the wrath of God determined towards them. Because we are unholy, we are unrighteous. It is going to be God's justice to pour out his wrath upon all those who reject him. But the angels bring the announcement and says, glory to God in the highest. I paraphrase it. God is making a way for you to not be an enemy any longer. God is making a way for you to have the wrath removed from you. Glory to God in the highest. God's making a way for you to not have wrath, but peace. This is why we need peace. It's like a missile that is locked, targeted on the particular object it's going to strike. And that target towards all of us is the wrath of God. But when God opens up your eyes and you recognize that you are sinful and you recognize that you're an enemy of God, you recognize, man, I'm heading towards hell and eternity away from him and that God's going to pour out his judgment upon me. And then you repent of your sin and you place faith in God instantly, instantly in that moment, that target, that locked in of that missile of wrath is disengaged and you have a decree of peace. Glory to God in the highest. This is why it's great news. It is. We look at this and we say, why do we need this? Logically, we understand that every one of us, every one of us are enemies of God. And some of you may say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. I'm not willfully harming Christian people. I'm not willfully against the Christian message. You may even say, I am simply, uh, I am innocent in regards to what other people may choose. I take a middle ground and people can be what they want to be. I'm not opposed to Christianity. I'm not for Christianity. Maybe your attitude, but you realize that the truth is, even if you're nonchalant about all those things, whether you are willfully opposed to Christ or whether you are ignorantly just simply doing what you want to do, the truth is Jesus says, if you're not for me, you are against me. This is though the, what is good news, though, about this message. God is waking us up out of our sleepiness, our apathy, thinking that we are okay. I'm simply wanting you to understand that we're not okay. And this is the great news about Christ being born. Jesus said it this way in John 3.36. Most of you may memorize John 3.16, but you need to know John 3.36. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, what's the next word? Remains on him. Meaning, Jesus didn't come to bring wrath. It's because wrath was already destined for us. 
It remains upon us. This is why Jesus says what we know about John 3.16, but John 3.17 and 18 says, but Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved because we're already under condemnation. That condemnation that we're under is because our sinfulness, our sinful nature. We don't have to argue against our sinful nature. We're all sinful. We've had wrong thoughts before. We've had wrong attitudes before. We've all said things we shouldn't have done. We've all acted in the way we shouldn't have acted. I mean, you just tell me in regards to when a little kid is stingy with his toys, did you have to teach a kid to be stingy? Were any of you ever stingy? Have any of you ever lied? We understand that all of us are sinful. I never forget I was taking, when I was a youth pastor, I took, uh, Liz and I took our student ministry to a conference and this evangelist was teaching and he said that the sinful nature was solidified in his mind when he was taking his two sweet nephews somewhere in the back of his car. And he realized that some of those M&Ms were missing. And then he realized, he said, does anybody have the M&Ms? And the two-year-old's holding M&Ms in his hand. I don't have any. Now, who taught the two-year-old to lie? Now, maybe they've seen that, but our nature, you get my point. It's, we are sinful in our nature, and this is the point that Jesus is saying, and because of our sinful nature, the wrath of God remains up on us. So his point is this way. He's not using the word peace that's there, but the way, equate the word life with peace. He who believes in me has life, has peace. He who does not believe me has wrath that's upon him. So why do we need peace? Because we are at odds with God. Now Paul says it in a different way. We see it here in regards to Romans 5. We saw it in John chapter 3. But Paul makes it very clear to us in another letter that he talks about how that we are away from God and we desperately need to be drawn near to him. So turn with me to Ephesians. I didn't ask you to turn there, but I want you to turn there with me. I want you to turn to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2, Paul restates this. His point is this is part of what the gospel message is. This is part of what we need to understand. All of you need to understand. Kids and teenagers, I want you to hear this. I want you to pay attention. All of us need to understand that we think that we're close to God, but we need to understand that if God is bringing peace to us, that means we are far away from Him, even if we think that we're close to Him. And Paul says it here in Ephesians 2, verse 11. Pay attention to the number of times that He mentions the word peace. Verse 11. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is referring to Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. What has he just described those who are outside that are Gentiles? He says that we are separated, that we're alienated, and we're strangers to the hope. We are outside of it. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Christ came 
For those that were, quote-unquote, near the Jews and those who were far off the Gentiles, near in the aspect that they were closer to understanding the promises of God, but even though they were close, they still didn't have peace. And there are some of you in this room that fit that particular description. You're so close with God because you know a lot about Him, but you still don't have peace. And God came to give us His Son, Jesus, to bring us near to Him, to reconcile us. That's why the angels are singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace. So we can get peace through faith. We can get faith. We need peace because we are enemies of God. But I want to ask another question about this passage of Scripture. Why did the announcement of Jesus' birth here cause the entire heavenly host of angels to glorify God? All of them. Go back to Luke 2. I want you to see the significance of this. I have sat on this and swam on this, pondering and amazed at this reality. The reason why I asked you the question earlier is when the angel came to the shepherds, how many of them spoke? Were you paying attention earlier? One. Look again at verse 9 and notice the response. And an angel, singular, of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Fear. One angel, and the glory of God is there. Would one not be enough to make this declaration? I mean, one angel has caused great reverential fear and awe in this moment. But it's such good news that what we have in verse 13, there is no seemingly time delay for the angelic hosts to respond to the news that Christ is coming for all people. Because it says in verse 13, suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel now this great host praising God. Please pay attention. They're not there making an announcement to the shepherds. The shepherds get to be the byproduct of what the angels are saying. Do you get this? They're saying, glory to God. Their praise is directed upward. So the question is, why in the world are they so excited? You can't put yourself in this scene and get anything dull about this moment. They're not saying, glory to God. And on earth, good good news. Some of y'all need to take lessons about how you should sing in this room. You're singing to the one who created the universe and he's placed you in the kingdom of God. You have reason to sing to him. You have reason to worship him. So this is what the purpose of this song is. With all of the angelic hosts proclaim glory to God in the highest. I pray this stirs you up to sing differently. I don't care if you sing on tune or not. We have a God worthy of this praise. So why are they so Excited. It's because the heavenly hosts of angels 
are celebrating Jesus' birth because on this day, on this day, God has made a way for mankind to have permanent peace with him. This is what is good news for them. So look at it again. I want you to pay attention to me. Listen to the text. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to the text. Notice what it's saying here. He's making this great announcement there in verse 11. For unto you is born when? This day. Things are about to change. This day. This day. Christ the Lord, the Messiah, is born. So the angelic host are hearing the announcement. Look, there's a spiritual realm that we can't see with our physical eyes, but there's a spiritual realm that is real in regards to that's around them. They hear the announcement, and instantly, instantly, when they hear this, they're saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace is now being made with man. So what they're singing about is that God is making a way for mankind to have permanent peace with God. What I want to lay a groundwork for you is this. We're going to talk about what about the people prior to this moment and what about people after this moment. But I want you to understand something significant. If Christ is the one who's bringing peace, he's bringing peace in a way that there's not going to need to have anything else or any other method or any other way to make people right with God after this moment. He is the magnum opus. He is the supreme thing. Isaiah said it this way. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. The very text that Tim read before he prayed. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Say it with me. Prince of peace, of the increase of his government, and of his peace there will be no what? End. This, this I place to you as the first reason of the amazing celebration is because they're celebrating that the Prince of Peace is here. Now, if someone is the Prince of Peace, then that means that nothing or no one can be superior in the quantity of peace and the quality of peace and the longevity of peace. He is the Supreme One, meaning nobody else after him, nobody else that's before him can provide the peace that he is because he's the Prince of Peace. And when he comes, it's not going to be temporary. He's coming because it says, and of his peace, it will be no end. He comes. This is why when you get to Hebrews chapter 1, and it says that when Christ, after he had been able to accomplish the payment for sins, it says he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because it was finished. And so the angels are celebrating that the Prince of Peace has come. Now listen closely to me. If the Prince of Peace has come, we must ask ourselves the question, what about all of the 4,000 years of humanity prior to Jesus? If, If the announcement is being made that the Prince of Peace is here, and people can be made right with God, then what about the 4,000 years of history prior? Could they not be made right with God? They could be. I want you to see an 
the text, and I want you to understand why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Keep your finger here in Luke, and I want you to go back to Romans chapter 3. I want you to understand that what was happening prior to this moment is that people who were of faith still were having to trust, trust in the Messiah that was going to come. And God had made a way for them to be able to, listen closely to me, to have temporary peace until the Prince of Peace came to settle all accounts. Let me say it to you again. God made a way prior to Christ through the sacrificial system for people to have their sins satisfied before God and have temporary peace until God sent Jesus as the Prince of Peace to satisfy it all. Romans 3, where we were earlier, after we talked about that we were sinful and that we can be justified by grace as a gift, let's pick up at verse 23. And we're going to read through verse 26. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, all people, before Jesus, after Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So listen closely. If we can only be saved through the redemption that is in Christ, and that means that faith... And salvation can only be one way. Not one way before Jesus came, not one way after Jesus came. Meaning that faith has to be in Him. And now Paul's about to explain that for us. What does it tell us that Christ is, verse 25? God put Him forward as a what? Propitiation. Remember we said that we are under the wrath of God. And the only way we can be at peace with God and not have that placed upon us is through having faith in Him. That word propitiation there means that Christ is the wrath bearer. He's the one that becomes a sacrifice for all mankind. So we now look back at what Jesus did and those who were prior to Christ needing peace. What did God do? Continue verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Now does that mean that God has winked his eye at the sins that happened prior? That is not what that means. That doesn't mean that God's, oh, we'll just let them have a a mulligan. We'll just let them have an excuse clause here just before them. No, no, no. It says God looked over them through his divine forbearance. He passed over, passed over former sins. That doesn't mean he ignored it. doesn't mean that he forgot it. He passed over that. Let me just illustrate it for you. Do you remember when the Egyptians were in slavery? What did they have to do in order for God to pass over them? They had to have a lamb that was slain. To sacrifice in order for God to be satisfied that they were trusting that God was going to be the one who would redeem them. And so in all the sacrificial system that God had given since the beginning of time, you say, where was the first sacrifice? God provided it for Adam and Eve. Remember, they had fig leaves. God provided an animal for them to be covered. It became the illustration of the very first sacrifice because then when you get to Abel, and Abel and and Cain are offering sacrifices, they've seen it illustrated. Well, who taught them what to do? God did. And so all the way leading up to Christ, people who were 
wanting to be made right with God, at peace with God, had to bring sacrifices to the temple, place them before God, and it says God passed over their sins. Meaning they have temporary peace before God, but the full payment... The full payment to satisfy the holiness and the righteousness of God has to be keep pushing forward until the permanent payment for peace could be made. So when Christ is born, the angels are celebrating because the Prince of Peace, the final payment to satisfy God has been given. Let me illustrate this way. Some of you, credit cards, and you have debt. In order to satisfy the company, if you can't pay it all, what do you have an option to do? You get to pay a minimum payment. Minuscule often at times, right? 15, 20 bucks. But guess what happens to that debt over here? We can offer financial peace later on if you would like us to, Dave Ramsey's budget. That debt accumulates and grows. But as long as you make the minimum payment, the credit card company is going to leave you alone. Because eventually they know that's got to be paid off. And then once the, the payment is made to, to pay off all that debt, then it's satisfied. But here's what I want you to understand. In the sacrificial system... The people of God, they never could satisfy the debt. They can never satisfy a holy God to pay for all of their sinfulness. So in their actions of faith, of presenting a sacrifice, it was like a minimum payment. It's all they could do. And all of their debt was being pushed forward in faith. They were trusting in. Listen. Just like you look back in faith believing what Christ has done for you, they were looking forward and saying, God, we're trusting in the one that's going to come eventually and it's going to satisfy my debt. And so when Christ is born, so when the announcement, and Luke 2 says, on this day, on this day, there's great news for you. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Why? Because the prince of peace had come to satisfy what we could not pay to satisfy a holy God. So listen, so you can do all that you want to do to try to satisfy God and we try to justify that in our minds. Well, I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to try to give more. I'm going to try to be a good person. That's all moral behavior. You have to throw yourself on the mercy and the grace of God. And you have to acknowledge, God, my debt is high. And I can't pay it. And so I need you, through the blood that was shed upon the cross, to cover my unrighteousness and my sinfulness. Because I am desperately in need of you. Would you be my Prince of Peace? Would you satisfy what I cannot pay? And when by faith, by faith, if you have done that... Instantly, God granted peace to you, wrath was removed, and the Prince of Peace made you right before a holy God. That is why the angels are celebrating. Now, I place myself in this moment as best as I can. I'm thinking, if one angel 
put them on the ground? Ooh. Can you just imagine with me this chorus singing? So I believe that what's being celebrated is that they are celebrating, they're hearing this one announcement that the Prince of Peace is coming. But listen, I want to magnify this for a second reason. I want to explain to you what else I think is happening here. So why else are the angels celebrating? Because I believe that the angel celebration, here's a second reason, that the angel celebration was the climax, listen closely to me, and we'll lay this out for you, was thousands of years of the anticipation of the angels for God to send this permanent peacemaker in this moment. Now this is different than the the longing that the people had. This is a climactic moment in regards that the angels had of anticipation since creation for the Redeemer to come. I'm going to lay this out for you because I want you to see this. This is one of those things I want you to walk away and say, Man, that was awesome. You realize that there were angels who rebelled against God. And so the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, it says, For surely it's not angels that he helps. Hebrews 2, 16 on the screen, please. It's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham, meaning those who are going to actually place faith in him. Remember, the Bible tells us not all of Israel is Israel. Not everybody that's just born of Abraham is the one that's going to be saved, but those are going to place faith in him. So it says, for sure it's not angels that he helps, but he's helping the offspring of Abraham, meaning he's helping mankind. He's not helping the angels who have fallen. Meaning, listen closely to me, that the angels who rebelled against God, who kicked out of heaven with Satan, means they don't have a chance to be redeemed. They never have a chance to be placed at peace with God ever again. What does the Bible say for them? Matthew 25, 41. He will say to those on his left, this is in the judgment scene where God is standing before all of humanity. And those who are on his left are those who have rejected Christ. And he says, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So you have these angels who are Rebelling against God, and you have angels who are serving God, those ones who are serving God, the ones who rebelled against Him, we don't call them angels any longer, we call them what? We call those demons. And so now, you're in this moment, you're saying, Pastor, I don't, I don't understand where, where you're going with this. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. What I want to show you is that these angels who are now in this moment, who are celebrating that the peacemaker is here, it's a culmination of of them looking into and observing the working of God and the people of God and this narrative, this redemptive story that's been happening since the beginning of time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Peter's argument, much the same thing that I'm wanting to give you today. Peter's argument was he's wanting them to not lose the awesomeness of the work of God to save them. And that's my plea for us this morning as well. I don't want us to lose the awesomeness that God has done to redeem you. The angels were rejoicing about this. Now listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Here is Peter's point. The prophets who are prophesying about the Christ who is coming was longing to understand that great glory. And then he gives us this little phrase, and the angels long to look into this amazing mystery. What mystery? What does he say in verse 10? Concerning this salvation. So the angels are observing this. You say, Pastor, I still don't get this. Well, listen, let me tell you this. Why are the angels involved in this amazing announcement? Why is it mentioned right here in 1 Peter 1, verses 12? Listen closely. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says this. Are they, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So if your mindset is angels on some kind of fluffy cloud playing a harp, who's got a white fluffy suit and got wonderful glorious wings, you have lost in regards to the understanding of what their purpose is about. When you see them in scripture, they are majestic, they are mighty, they are warriors, and they are ones who come on the announcing of God, and when people are in front of them, they fall on their faces before God. That's not some kind of fluffy, mamsy-pamsy kind of angel. They bring the glory of God with them, and they're ministering spirits to those who love God. Meaning that they're there helping the offspring of Abraham. So if they're ministering spirits to those who love God, then how long have people loved God? Since the beginning. Now, are you tracking with me? So the ministering spirits that God has created, yes, they're there to give glory to God, but God is using them to be ministering spirits to those who love him. Adam and Eve, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the people of God. Nehemiah, Ezra. All those who've been, that God has been using. He says he's ministering spirits to all those. And you say, well, where were they? Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 4 through 7, when Job says, I want to to be able to have an appointment with you, God, because I want to give you a peace of mind. I'm paraphrasing what he says in that passage of Scripture. But he tells God, I'd like to have a visit with you. And so God shows up to him. Oh, that's a great, you've got to read it if you haven't read it. So God has an appointment. He has a meeting with him. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? When I hung the moon and the stars. And then he says this phrase in Jeremiah, excuse me, Job 38, 4 through 7. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Because when the foundations of the earth were there, it says the angels praised God. So the angels, they're created beings, but they're being created prior to humanity. So they're there before the foundation of the world. You say, why are you giving us all of this detail? Because I want you to see the gravity of the moment when in Luke 2, the the angelic host shows up because they've been watching, according to 1 Peter, looking into the work of salvation since the beginning. 
So since the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, and all of the promises that God is granting along the way. I remind you, I'll give you a passage, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. The angel Gabriel, pay attention, speaks to him and gives him the promise that there's going to be an anointed one who is going to come, who's going to lay his life down. Gabriel said it. Do you know which angel visited Mary? I'll give you a 100% chance. Gabriel. And then an angel of the Lord, if we're not given a name, visits Zechariah to say his son John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner. An angel of the Lord visits Joseph and says, Hey, the woman that you're engaged to, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Don't put her away. But he's going to be the one. He's going to call his name Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. The message by Daniel, given to him by Gabriel, 600 years prior to Jesus coming. So Peter tells us the angels are looking into this, meaning that they don't know all the future because they're not God, but as it's developing, as it's happening, as the promises are given, I've showed you the promise of the scripture. The theme of the scripture is to give us a redemptive theme from the beginning to the very end. From Genesis 3.15, when the first promise is made, that from you, Eve, there's going to be a seed that's going to come. It's going to crush the head of Satan. Can I just imagine what the angels are saying? Woo, boy, that's going to be good. And then as each thing happens, as God gives the message to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, unto you a child is born. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the angels are going, whoo! And then in Malachi, when Malachi says in chapter 4, there's going to be one that's going to come. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then there's silence. And then the angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah. He speaks. Then the angel goes to Joseph. He speaks. And Gabriel goes to, to Mary. He speaks. And now they're waiting for nine months. It's not just nine months they're waiting for. They've been waiting on thousands of years for this promise. This is why. This is why in Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 after the angel says... For unto you is born this day Christ the Lord, who's for all people. This is why. This is why in verse 13, it didn't say in five minutes later. It says, and suddenly, suddenly the angelic host joins in. Because it's been like they've just been waiting. Oh man, it's coming. It's coming. Jesus is born. Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace! Oh man, if we could just hear them singing. They've been longing to look into this. They're saying, finally, 4,000 years of people giving temporary peace, the permanent prince of peace is here. Does that not like get you excited? That's why they're saying glory to God. They're not saying, hey, bonehead shepherds, pay attention. They're saying glory to God for the one. He could have wiped us out. But he chose. He chose to give us a perfect prince of peace. Now I ask you this Christmas season. Are you in peace with God? 
Has that gripped you like that? You may be sitting here this morning and you're on the outside looking in. You thought you were okay. This is an announcement worth considering for you, each one of you. The announcement was made to praise an amazing, gracious God who provided a way for us to have peace with Him. And if you have not done that, then you need to place faith in Him so that He can make you right. But if you have been made right, if you have been made right and you've lost the luster, the joy of that amazing fulfillment in Christ, and I pray that you will be, just like the song says, with angelic hosts proclaim once again, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. I pray that you'll be enamored with that amazing work of God to give you the Prince of Peace. What does that mean practically for you? If you have been made right with God through His Son, Jesus, stop trying to do it on your own. If he's already made you right, rest in the finished work of Jesus. And when you sin and you blow it, then just fall back on your face before a mighty God who's already made you right with him and ask for forgiveness of what you have done wrong because you're resting in a right relationship with God. But I want to give you one practical application of this. If God makes us right with him, then why, if we're made right with Him, do so many believers not live in peace now? Many of you, some of you, may be saying, I've been made right with God, but my life is chaos. I've been made right with God, but I am not filled with peace. Why? Because what happens is, once even when we're made right with God, oftentimes we begin to look what's around us and we get distracted by those things than the one who made us right and at peace with Him. So how is it possible? What can we do in this particular moment? I want to give you just a few verses here at the end. What does Jesus say? In John 16, 33, He said, In this world you will have tribulation, but in Me you will have what? When the announcement came, listen to me very closely. When the announcement came in Luke chapter 2, the angels didn't say, by the way, we're going to make peace with the Romans. We're going to make the Romans go away. You're going to get to have your land back. You're going to get to be at peace once again. No one's going to take over your territory. That was not the announcement at all. Their circumstance didn't change. But their relationship with God did. For those who would believe in Him. This is the key of John 16, 33. And the key that I want you to understand, yes, we hear this great news that Jesus come to bring us peace, but I want to give this to you as your pastor, that I want some of you who are walking in turmoil and struggle to understand you can walk in peace, even if, even if your marriage is in turmoil, your kids aren't living the way they want them to live, your finances aren't what they need to be, your health isn't good, If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, He's the one who can give you peace in salvation. He's also the one who can give you peace as you walk in salvation as well. And I want to give you one verse at the very end, Philippians 4. Turn there with me. Because my heart, as I study this passage of Scripture, wanting you to see the joy of this, but I wanted you to hear the application of this even for you now. Philippians 4, Paul addresses believers who need to be walking in peace. 
Philippians 4, 7. Paul says it this way. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many people will quote that and they'll say, okay, he promises it, but I don't have it. But what people don't do is what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. What does he say in verse 8 and 9? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then what does he say? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And then the God of peace will be with you. So the promise of verse 7 is contingent upon verses 8 and 9. We want the peace of God to guard our hearts? Let's try that again. Do you want the peace of God to guard your hearts? Then verse 8 and 9 has to be practiced. Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, think about those things. And then he says, and what you've heard from me, do it. Meaning if you want the peace of God to surround your heart, certainly we can get peace with God in our relationship vertically with Him because saving us through Jesus Christ, He gives us peace and we're right with Him. But practically, when we're walking through this world, He does not say we will be absent of difficulty, absent of tribulation, absent of sickness, absent of sorrow, absent of heartbreak. He doesn't say that at all, but He says in the midst of those things, if we will think on these things and we'll put into practice these things, He says, then the God of peace will be with you. I think there's a disconnect for some of us in this room and believers in general. We celebrate that God makes us right, but then we're miserable as we're walking in Christ. The Prince of Peace didn't come just to save you so you can walk in misery. Some of you in this room, you're trying to have peace with God on Sunday, but you're in the world Monday through Saturday. There's no way in this world you can have peace with God if all you're doing is trying to seek Him once a week. You've got to walk with Him. You've got to celebrate Him. You've got to focus on Him. So you ask yourself these questions. I ask you right now. The things, where you're, the, the things that you're doing, the people that you're focused on, the things that you listen to, the things that you watch, are those honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable? If you focus your whole time worried about what Fox, CBS, ABC... NBC and CNN and whatever other news network that you're listening to, that's going to stir you up with anxiety and worry. Because half of those things aren't true or right or honorable or lovely. Probably 90% of those things. So what do you do? You focus on when everything around you is chaotic, it says, think about what you've learned and practiced. So what have you learned? You learn Colossians 1, 16, 17, and 18 that says Christ holds all things together. So you rest in that. You rest in the promise that even though there's storms, you rest that God is the one who can calm you in the midst of the storm. You listen and you love and you practice these things and you say, God, keep me calm in the midst of these things. And the God of peace will guard your hearts. Some of you in this room... I think this morning, need to lay down some of your worry. 
Some of you this morning need to repent of your anxiety and your focus and your worry and your difficulty. Some of you need to lay down what you've been focusing on and repent of those things and put your mind back up on the Prince of Peace again so he can help you walk in peace. In a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to respond. And some of you in this room and some of you listening online may have never been made right with God and you're not at peace with him. The good news is, you can be. Repent and believe and follow Him. And some of you that's in this room and listening online, you've been made right with God, but if you were honest with this question, am I at peace right now? I believe many of you would probably say no. And I'm here to remind you that the Prince of Peace came to save you at salvation, And he came to be the Prince of Peace in your salvation as well. And so in a moment, when we sing and as we respond, I'm going to encourage you that you make an altar out of your chair or an altar out of the stage. Don't walk out of here not at peace with God. Listen closely. I am not saying that when you throw it at the altar of Christ that he's going to remove your difficulty. Jesus says in this world you will have tribulation. But in him you can have peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing announcement that you gave through the angels. Amazing wonder that these angels have looked into for all of time. And at this culmination On that day when you were born, Jesus, celebration broke out. What a a marvel. What a wonder. Lord, I pray if we have been redeemed and we have been made right with you and we have peace with you, then I pray that we will be just like the angels and sing glory to God. So God, I pray for those in this room who may have not yet repented and placed faith in you and have been made right with you and don't have peace. Then God, in this moment, would you do that? Would you draw them to you? God, I also pray for believers in this room and those who are listening online who have been made right with you, but yet their world, their life, if they're honest, is not peaceful. The outside may be chaotic, but internally they're still not at peace. Lord, you promise us in Philippians that you would be the God of peace who would surround our minds. So, Lord, I thank you that you know what's going on in every person that's in this room right now. I thank you that you know what's going on in every person who's listening by the Internet right now. And Lord, you lay out for us a very clear plan of what we need to do in order for us to have the God of peace to be given to us. So Lord, I pray that you would show us this morning that there are things in our lives that we are doing that are contrary to bringing us peace. Then I pray that you would show it to us and we would be willing to repent of it so that we can be able to have our minds focus on what is true, lovely, honorable, trustworthy, and pure. And we would put into practice what we have heard and what we have learned. They would not just hear it on Sundays and lay it down. 
Oh God, I pray you'd make us a people of your word that's not just hearers, but we'll be doers of it as well. And so God, I pray, stir up some people right now and bring peace to those who desperately need it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand and as we respond, there'll be those who are here to receive you. If you need peace with God, come. Do it right there where you are. You can do it up here. If you need us to pray with you because your life is difficult and you need us to pray with you about it, you can come as well. Let's sing this song as a way for us to respond to these truths this morning.